A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. is Arsecast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arsecast Extra, as always, with James from Gunnerblog. James, good morning to you. Good interlull morning to you. Good interlull morning to you, too. How's it been so far? Uh, okay. Okay. Yeah? Uh, yeah, yeah. I was expecting it to be a bit more... Um, what's the word? Tumbleweedy. Is that a word? Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it seems to have gone by pretty quickly. Like last week, there seemed to be a lot of stuff going on. And here we are. It's Monday. And I know, uh, you know, we're still a few days away. But at the weekend, we'll be playing again. So it's been less interlully than I thought it would be. And for that, I give it I give it credit and a very small round of applause. I guess sort of the Arsene Wenger week that unfolded last week kind of kept the yeah. interlull feeling kind of clubby you know yeah i guess so i mean we did have some questions about that actually uh you were at the um the arson wenger david dean thingamajig in the palladium mm-hmm. last week uh, yeah which- i think that went out on tv last night ah right BT. okay Okay, yeah, I was supposed to go, uh, but things being the way that they are with um, COVID and the virus and the the numbers and all that kind of thing, I did not at all feel uh, comfortable or or that it would be responsible of me to travel uh, through airports and on planes and tube trains and sit in a an auditorium and all that kind of stuff. So I I, sure. I moved my tickets on. Uh, they went to a good home, and uh, I'm glad the people who got them enjoyed the show. Did you enjoy the show? I did. I, I I more enjoyed the experience, actually, of sort of just being there. And there was a mm. lot of famous faces who came out to see Arsene and David Dean, um, especially with Arsenal affiliations. A lot of, like, the Invincibles were there. And mm. um, the, the talk itself was interesting, the Arsenal part particularly in the first half. In the second half, it sort of became a bit state-of-the-game-y and a, a little bit sort of FIFA-y. Mm. Um, and I was a bit less enthused about that aspect of it. I don't know. As much as I really respect Arsene Wenger and respect David Dean, it does seem odd to me that kind of like the future of the game is decided by people who, with respect, are kind of um, not going to be part of it for that much longer. I know uh, what you mean. There were some weird quotes about... Um I can't remember if it was from Arsene Wenger or if it was from somebody else of a, a similar stature or w- whatever it was. And it was about, like, how young people want to enjoy the game, how they want to experience football. And it's like, well, I don't know about that. 
I don't know if like guys of 70 plus are really the right people to tell us what young people want from the game. Do you know what I mean? Again, with respect, there comes a point where, I don't know, you don't necessarily have the, the connection to make that sort of a statement with, with um, any real emphasis. Yeah, I mean, you'd like to imagine that's backed up by some kind of research, but with FIFA, you never know. It does feel like some things are just sort of on a whim. Um, they could just I pay just, somebody to give them the research that they want, you know. True. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I think it was good nonetheless to see them. I went to see Arsene Wenger at the Palladium a year ago, I think, or so, when his book came out, and mm. it was good to see him back with his sidekick alongside him. I mean, it's very clear what a strong bond they have. And I think something that maybe we don't or haven't discussed enough in kind of um, analysing Wenger's reign is quite what a big impact it was for him to lose Dean. I think it was professionally, but also personally, clearly a very significant moment and one that he obviously struggled with. Yeah, I mean, understandably, because they did have a great connection and they did build something, you know, not not simply the two of them, but the, um, you know, Dean was a, a big part of bringing Arsene Wenger to the club. There's that story, isn't there, where Arsene is out going to have a cigarette and he meets David Dean's wife and, and yeah. all that kind of stuff. I do wonder as well, I think there is probably a, a bigger picture and a, a more detailed analysis necessary of of why David Dean, um, if you want to say left, um yeah, well, that doesn't come up in these conversations, no, weirdly. No, it doesn't, you know, and, and for years we had a a boardroom cold war at Arsenal um, between Kroenke and between Usmanov, and those both of those parties were brought to the table by David Dean for, um, you know, his own reasons, um, and it's not something he's ever really expanded on or, or ever really been interviewed about or spoken about, and I think it would be... It would be interesting to hear his side of that, but certainly, you know, the reason we had Stan Kroenke was because of David Dean. The reason that Alisha Ruzmanov was involved was because of, of David Dean. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I think that kind of sometimes gets glossed over a little bit, you know? Yeah, 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 absolutely. I mean, nevertheless, um, it was good to see them and good mm. to see some other familiar faces. In fact, my favourite moment of the evening came before it started, just before it started. And I don't know if the cameras caught this, but um, as they were sort of about to begin, some of the high-profile guests kind of made their way uh, through the auditorium to take mm. their seats. And Patrick Vieira was one of the last to actually take a seat. And when he came through, I think there's 2,500 people in the Palladium, 80% of them were singing the Vieira song. <laughs> and it was, it, the whole place kind of got on its feet to welcome Patrick Vieira. And it was genuinely uh, an electric moment. You know, some people have a real presence when they enter a space and he absolutely had that. Um, and it was one of those moments where you were like, oh man, I, re I really hope that one, his manual career goes well enough that one day uh, he is in the dugout at Arsenal because I think that will be quite a special thing potentially. Yeah, well, look, he's doing very well at Crystal Palace and, um, 
you know, if he keeps that up, it won't do his chances uh, any harm at all. It's all about timing, though, isn't it? That is the thing with football management. It's about timing and who's available and when they're available and all the rest. Um, I don't want to dwell too much on Arsene Wenger because there's been a lot of Arsene Wenger chat on the podcasts over Definitely. the last couple of weeks because of the film and, and everything else. Um, so, yeah, I mean, look, if you want your fill of, of Arsene Wenger chat, you can get that in the last few episodes, particularly with Philippe uh, on Friday's Arscast talking about the potential return. And obviously, Mikel Arteta had some comments to make about that as well. So we'll wait and see if any, if uh, if anything comes from that. But James, it would be remiss of me not to mention that this is Arscast Extra 442. And wow. you, know, you know the listeners have a, a thing for formation uh, episodes. So they do, yeah. They were very we disappointed yeah. that four three three was not a kind of tribute to that particular system. Yeah. So look, let's do this. Given that it is the four four two episode, the four four two classic formation. So I'm going to ask you this: You were nominally, usually, a left back when you played mm-hmm. football, yeah. right? So let's say that left back is your position and, and centre half, left sided centre half is is my position. Mm-hmm. And we each give each other ten out of ten because that's our best position on the pitch. Right? Right, okay. I'm not saying that either of us are ten out of ten players. Not saying that's the case. I mean, there are days where it happened and the magic was there, but you know, it wasn't yeah. always like a ten out of ten performance. Fleeting glimpses. Exactly. Exactly. The consistency not there. Magic moments, of course. But uh, I'm going to give you other positions. And based on the fact that left back is 10 out of 10, you tell me out of 10 where you feel you would rank yourself in the other positions, if that makes sense. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so fine. extrapolating from your 100% ability at, at left back, how would you have fared at right back? What would you give yourself there? Uh, quite low. Mm, mm. Mm, pretty bad maybe like maybe as bad as like 20% wow so like I mean I've never played there but I don't think it would go well okay it's just it's too high risk for a very one footed player on that flank are you playing this game as well yeah I'll play as well yeah yeah. what would you give yourself Uh, right back probably like I could do a seven out of ten right back job, but I always hated the. I always hated playing fullback because it was just too much running. You know, you got to run up the pitch, you got to run back down the pitch, you got to take the throw ins, all of yeah. that kind of crack. So I would say, from a defensive standpoint, seven out of ten. But I prefer not to. Um, you, you don't see left-footed right backs for whatever reason. You don't see it, and I think it should continue that way. Right. So I'd, I'd give myself a very low score. Okay, such as. Three, four, what are you saying? What did I say? Yeah, 20%. 20%, like 20% of 100, well, that's two. Mm. Wow, okay. Two out of ten. Some, some brutal I'm a, I'm, I'm a fifth of the player. Right. I mean, I have to say, at left back, I'd probably only give myself a five, maybe. I mean, I could do okay. it. I could do it. You know, right footers at left back is more common than, as you say, left footers at right back. Um, how, how would you fare at centre half, do you think? Pretty similar. So, as, as in, like, right. similar to left back. Okay. So uh, I would say 90%. I, this will shock you, Andrew, but I wasn't one of these um, Roberto Carlos uh, overlapping left backs. I was much more of the sort of Tommy Asu mould of a fullback 
basically a centre-back playing at left-back. So I'd probably say 90. Nine. So nine, nine out of ten. Okay, that's yeah. good. That's decent. That's decent. Yeah. Versatile. Right. What about if, you know, as happens when you're playing at a certain level and you're scratching around and you don't have a goalkeeper and you've got to go and goal? Uh, you got to get the gloves on for your team. Yeah. Someone's got to do it. You know the way it's like, oh, we can't find a goalkeeper or the goalkeeper isn't here today. Who wants to go in? Uh, everyone yeah. looks at their feet and what have you. Where would you say you rank in, in that sense? Truly terrible. Wow. Truly appalling. Like, um, I think I have to bump right back up a little bit to like four maybe. Okay. But but two for a goalkeeper. I, I'm one of those goalkeepers who whatever height the ball is shot at will try and save it with my feet. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm not allowed to use my hands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's really unnatural to me. It's bad. It, 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 you know, you would be throwing the game to put me in goal. Okay. Okay. What about you? I reckon I could do a six out of 10 in goal. I quite like okay. playing in goal when I used to play there from time to time. I enjoyed it. Lots of shouting and organizing, you see, which is not much different from being a, a central defender. You're just shouting at all the people in front of you. And uh, yeah, in, yeah, 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 yeah. In, in five aside, I'm exactly the same. When I play five, still play five aside, it's a running joke the way that I make saves when it's my turn in goal because I just like stick a leg out, stick a foot out, do a back heel save, all that kind of stuff. So I never use my hands, but I quite like playing in goal. So I could do... Could do six out of ten, I think, in in goal. Um, okay. Central midfield, not bad. You know, I'll give myself a seven. Okay, like not massively mobile. Very similar playing style to Granite Shaka in central midfield. <laughs> really, really, that's where I want to play. Um, but Mikel Arteta keeps pushing me out to left back. Yeah. Uh, but you know, I, I I I I'm all right. I can play a pass. Okay. Cultured left foot, right, all that right. stuff. What's the like number? a tackle? Seven. 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 Okay. I think I'd have to give myself a six in central midfield. I, I just find the game uh, a bit too much two way when I'm in central midfield. The angles are all different. Yeah, it's weird. You know, when you spend most of your time facing the players you do at central defence, um, mm. I wouldn't mm. be great. So I, I'd say six. Like I wouldn't. I could do it. I could do a job. You know what I mean? A bit like mm. you know the way people used to say. Colo Toure would make a great defensive midfielder. You know, that sure. kind of way. And it never happened, and for good reason. It's a lot of back to goal. It's a lot of like, yeah. you know, can you t can you turn on it? And that you don't do that at centre-back. No, you don't. Left wing. Played there a lot. Played there a lot. Like a kind of... Um, when did Arsenal ever do that? The old two left-backs. Clichy you know, and... Clichy uh, and Cole. And Cole did it a bit, uh, didn't they? Yeah, played there a lot. Sort of modelled myself on Lucas Podolski, as in <laughs> very limited touches of the ball, but kicking it very hard when right. it came near me. Sure. Um, I think I'm probably... F a s I should be at least a six because I've played there a lot. So I'm going to say a six. Okay. I'm not brilliant at it, but, you know, I've got a left foot and I can cross and shoot. All right. I'm I mean, slow though, Andrew. That's the real problem. I'm well, slow. Yeah, I mean that was the that was a great thing about my footballing career was that I, I stayed at the same pace for like thirty years. It's all it's in your amazing. head. The first thirty <laughs> yards are in your head. 
I never really had any pace to lose. So yeah, I mean, yeah. I have to say probably like a four for me on the on the left hand side. I go mm. with a seven on the right. I did play there occasionally. Um, play on really? the right That's wing. Occasionally, I would play on the right wing. Um, In what fashion was it like? Much to more have someone on the back post. You know, no, nah, but I was. Good, I, I'm a good. A deliverer of the ball, so I'd have been quite right. Beckhamish in the sense yeah, that yeah, yeah, I could yeah. make the pass, I could, uh, you know, put the crosses in, etc., etc. But I wasn't going to go, you know, racing past a, an opposition fullback or anything like that. So, yeah. Um, um, on the right for me, mm. in my opinion, this is my great untapped potential. Like <laughs> the, it's impossible for me to give a mark really because no one in their right mind would ever play me there. But in my head, I was like, this is where I could really do some damage, you know, coming inside. Um, so what did I give myself for the six on the left? I, I mean, the said- reality is it's, it's sort of similar. Like, I, I think it would be similar. I'm all right. Um, I'm all right on that side in attack. Mm. I just, you know, it's just defensively, I fear getting trapped in those channels and right. losing the ball. But when there's less risk, fine. Okay. And I'm not going to do anything fancy like have a number 10 behind a number nine. Just no, up front, no. striker. What would you give yourself out of 10 as a striker? Mm, I'm trying to think what I gave myself elsewhere. I think like a four. Right. Think of four. Like I could do it, um, and I can sort of hold the ball up and that sort of stuff. But I, I haven't got predatory instincts. I don't think, and okay. I haven't got acceleration. What about you? Seven and a half. I think. Uh, okay. Yeah, I'm good. I'm. I, I like a good finish. I'm a decent finisher, so I can hit the ball hard, and. Uh, yeah, I'd back myself to score some goals. So sort of like in the Paul Warhurst, Chris Sutton, exactly. Yeah, mold. The Dion defender Dublin. slash striker centre. Yeah. Well, you don't was, get those anymore, Andrew. Was was Dion Dublin was a striker who went to centre half. Paul Warhurst was a, yeah. For people who don't remember, played for Blackburn Rovers and was a central defender, but then played up front and was fucking amazing for what about a year or two years or something. Yeah, yeah. Scored loads of goals. So yeah, a bit like that. Bit of a lump, but you know, put Chris the ball Samba. in the right area. <laughs> remember Chris Samba? I do remember Chris Samba. I remember lots of people wanting us to sign Chris Samba back in the day as well. Probably so. to replace Burkamp in the attacking yeah. line. Uh, yeah, sure. no, I I, uh, I love a centre half who can play up front. That's very exciting, you know, mm. especially late in a game. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, Arsenal did a bit, you know, that I do remember us chasing games and Mertzacker ending up in the box for prolonged periods. FA sometime. Cup semi-final against Wigan. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, fun. I mean, I miss playing 11 aside, so for do sure. I. So do I. Yeah. It's been some years since I've had a game of 11 aside. And uh, yeah, the five aside is still good. It's nice to get out, but, you know, there's just something not quite... Not quite the same, is there, as the, the 11 aside battle that you used to have? Particularly because when you're playing five aside, like it's your mates on a Friday evening, there's a WhatsApp group and there's a group of guys who are always there. And it's, you know, it changes from week to week because people can't play, but you get kind of the same faces coming in, like mates of mates who come in to play and what have you. You don't get that edge. You don't get the spike yeah. when you're playing against, you know, little fucking fast guys who've got mouthy guys up front who are always giving you 
bit of stick, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. I no, love I that. Do miss it. I do love that. There's still time, Andrew. There's I don't know time. that there is. James. <laughs> I don't know that there is. So, look, hopefully the people have been um, uh, um, pleased with our focus on the on the formation. We've done our job there, We've yeah. We've done our bit on the Fulfilled formation. our obligation. Is, is this... This is the last possible... Oh, no, I don't suppose it is, no. 4-5-1. Yeah. Coming four, up. 4-5-1. We've got some 5-3-2, I suppose. 5-2-3, you know. You know, also, some people would say... we've. Uh, you know what about four one four one? When we get into the thousands, Andrew, the oh four thousandth, it all opens up again. James, what did you think of? The- <laughs> Plus, oh, yeah, we've got all the f- <laughs> all the five at the backs, more more on the horizon. Yeah. Well, we might just uh-huh. give a cursory mention to those, seeing as we've uh, pretty much done everything we need to do when it comes to football formation and, and discussion. What has been happening though? Emil Smith Rowe is now. England international, Emile Smith-Rowe. That's nice for him. It is nice, yeah. I mean, I think last time we spoke, he wasn't in the squad. So no. it's been a bit of a, a turnaround there. He got the call up and almost as soon as he was called up, Southgate said, you know, he's here to be involved. He might be involved again tonight. Yeah. Um, England plays San Marino, is it? Um, yes. And I think, you know, Saka didn't play at the weekend, so he's got a good chance of featuring... Mm. Uh, Ramsdale will be hoping that he might get a look in. Um, I mean, why wouldn't you give guys? You're playing San Marino. This is a is it a World Cup qualifier? Yeah, they need a point. Who they do? need a point England. to qualify. England, yeah, right. So if you, you know, in fairness, with all due respect to San Marino, mm-hmm. I reckon we could play for England tonight and, and still help them to a point. Not that I, I reckon would. I could play right back. Not that I would, of course. And it would be fine. Yeah. Well, they are just... Um, I'm looking at their qualification campaign. They're coming off a 4-0 defeat um, to Hungary. To put this in context, they lost 3-0 in their previous qualifier before that to Andorra. So... Yeah. I mean, they could probably just play the two of us. <laughs> <laughs> so they, so they, you know, are England should roll them over. I re, I really, I mean, I really hope it'd be very cool for me as uh, an English man if Saka and Smith Rowe mm. and Ramsdale played. That would be great. I like Sa- San Marino in this World Cup group. Played nine, won zero, yeah. drawn zero, lost nine, scored one against. 36, a goal difference of minus 35 and zero points. I mean, it is a struggle for, for those guys. So, you know, England Poland really... Poland must be furious that they conceded to them. Is that who it was, yeah? Victory. Yeah, yeah. Nicola Nani scored for San Marino. Nicola um, Nani. Yeah. <laughs> who was in goal for Poland? Was it Chesney? It was probably Chesney. Let's have a look. Uh... I can't see actually, but they're not going to be happy. It was Chesney. Although Chesney came off in the game at some point. Probably realised he left his smoke in the ashtray and it was. That must have been the moment they scored, I imagine. (laughs) (laughs) He was having a fag. And (laughs) they were like. Quick, take the opportunity, and then they punish Chesney by taking him off. Lukasz Gorobski came on for him 
right. at half time. I mean, that's uncommon, substituting the goalkeeper at half time in a qualifier. You don't see that too frequently. What was the score at half time, though? Um, hang on. Right, here we go. I don't know. Uh, it was. <laughs> I'm looking at this Google thing. It was 4-0. Yeah. You could probably take a goalkeeper off and, you know, if you want to give a guy a few minutes or whatever it might be. I guess. I guess. Well, that's certainly what Aaron Rousdale will be hoping for. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I mean, Smith Rowe came on. He played on the right-hand side for England, which mm. he hasn't done much of with Arsenal, but he did it a fair bit in his youth. Um, and I think he did it under Unai Emery a few times. But uh, it was sort of a dead rubber by that point. England had absolutely monstered Albania, mm. um, making my mum look a fool for her pre-match analysis. I did notice that on your Twitter. Yeah. She texted me criticising Gareth Southgate's lineup. I don't know if Gareth Southgate saw my mum's text and pinned it up on the dressing room wall. For but sure. It appeared that way. Mm. Um, she specifically went in for criticising Harry Kane and Harry Maguire. Well, she's right. There's just, you know, the, the, the hariness of the England squad is, it's, it's overly Harry. There's, yeah, a, there's, I mean, a, there's, a, there's a surplus of hariness to the, to the England squad, which, you know, I think it maybe could be offset by the, the good guys, by the Emils, by the Bakayos, by the Aarons, but phew, too much Harry. Yeah. Too mu- you, can't, yeah. you, you, run, you run the risk of, of, of over-harification, you know? Well, at least Winks isn't in this squad, you know. We're slowly turning the tide. Mm. Um, against the Harrys but yeah I mean please for Emil Smith-Rowe I mean it's great for him to be in the England squad I know that Arsenal fans will have mixed feelings reservations shall we say about any players international commitments going up the only thing I'd say is he probably would have played more minutes with the under 21s yeah exactly exactly Uh, I did find that odd when people were like it's good he's not in the England squad because, uh, you know, we can have a rest. And mm. It's like people just forget that the under-21s are a, th- a thing. Yeah. Um, but they had important games. Balogun scored for them He as did. Well. He did. And uh, there's some, you know, some chat from him afterwards about what, what comes next, where he says yeah, basically yeah. He's, he's ready for a new challenge because uh, Lee Carsley, former Everton um, midfielder, uh, it was Everton, wasn't it? Yeah, it was Lee Carsley. They sort of had him and Thomas Gravison. That's it. Real Madrid running around. Real Madrid bought the wrong guy. They they bought Gravison, thinking they were getting Lee Carsley. But uh, anyway, that was a mad transfer when you think back at it. But look, yeah, he was talking about how it's a bit too easy for him now at under twenty three level. And uh, Balogun said, "Look, I'm ready for a new challenge. Whether that's minutes at Arsenal or minutes elsewhere, I'm not quite sure." I did have a question, so we might as well uh, do the question while it's here. Let me see if I can find we'll it. Break the format. It's it's not a conventional four four two, guys. We're mixing it up. Yeah, but it's an interlow. I mean, it comes from the Discord from Hot Rod four four ninety. There's a formation. And he says, what do you think or what club do you think would be a good fit for Balagoon to go out on loan to? Um, I think a championship club, personally. I think that would be, for a player who's sort of dominated academy football but hasn't played enough kind of senior football mm. against grown-ups, I think the championship would be a ch- big challenge and one that would, 
really help him. I mean, I think of Emil Smith Rowe, for example, who went to Leipzig, didn't play, mm. had fitness issues, and actually was considered quite a frail's the wrong word, but sort of physically maybe not at the level of some of the other young players within the Arsenal squad at the time. Went to Huddersfield, was fairly protected there, but got a lot more football there than he he would have done sticking around at Arsenal and now he's a guy who seems capable of playing mm. three games a week so I, I I mean obviously you know I'm not saying it would be exactly the same but I think that would be a good testing ground what do you think? I, I, yeah I was thinking about this I was looking at the teams at the bottom of the Premier League and you know they might be looking for goal scorers someone like Norwich might look for a goal scorer to try and help them avoid relegation but yeah. I just wonder if goals would be harder to come by at that level than let's say mid to top of the championship where he could play for a team that's pushing for promotion that probably scores more goals than a a side like Norwich that creates more chances than a side like Norwich Um, Mm -hmm. but I also think it doesn't really matter a huge amount once he plays I think the biggest part of this isn't really his ability to score goals. I mean, we know he can do that. Uh, The goal he scored for the under-23s to get the draw against, was it Leicester in the last minute? They scored three goals in injury time. Yeah, amazing goal. impudence of that finish. I mean, he can score goals. We know that. I think the key thing for him is just to get used to the physical side of playing senior football playing against seasoned professionals, big hulking brutes of men rather than, you know, young, uh, willowy uh, youth players, etc., etc. However however good they might be, they don't possess the physical strength or the ability to dominate uh, a striker the way that uh, the, the senior guys do, whether they're great defenders or good defenders or just average defenders, they have the size, they have the presence, they know how to use their bodies. We saw it a bit against Brentford. I know we've said this before, but we saw it against Brentford where, you know, on the opening day of the season, Balagoon, we were excited about him starting, but I, I think you could see how big the gap is uh, the gap is between under 23 football and senior football because he was just getting clattered around the place and he was looking for free kicks that maybe ordinarily he would have got at that level he's not getting them at premier league level you know so i think the key thing for me really is that he plays consistently that wherever he goes you know between whatever period in January he is allowed leave because maybe we might keep him for uh, AFCON cover with Aubameyang gone and Pepe gone. We might keep him around. But at the point he goes, he needs to be playing pretty much every week. And that's that's a difficult thing. That's a challenge because uh, Arsenal have to take into account his likelihood of playing at whatever club he goes to. You can't insist or you can't demand that he plays. You just can't do that with a loan move. You know, uh, a club is entitled to pick whoever they want to pick. Um, so they've got to really think carefully about where he's going and what his likelihood is of playing on a on a regular basis. So if there's a championship club, for example, that gets a an injury to a key striker, maybe that's the one, you know, so he can play yeah. more often. And I just think, I don't know how willing Premier League clubs are going to be to kind of put their survival in the hands of a guy who's not got that top flight experience. Mm, Yeah. Um, So I think Championship will work well. You know, you think of Tammy Abraham, he had three loan spells in the Championship, Bristol City, Swansea, Aston Villa. But a lot of the 
top English strikers, Kane, Calvert-Lewin, they all had loan spells in the Football League. And I think it is just a great proving ground for, mm. for a young forward. So I think, that w- I think that will happen. Like you, I wonder if it might be later in the month rather than earlier. Yeah. Um, just because, uh, you know, we're going to lose certainly a Bamiang. Um, and and Pepe into, for the Afcon, um, so I think yeah, I, I think it may be not something that happens January first, but it's a really necessary step for him. And everything he's saying, everything the manager's saying, suggests they kind of realise that at this point. Yeah, there was another little interesting bit on this where um, you know we wondered if he was going to sign a new contract, uh, and it looked for all the world like he was going to go somewhere else because of the way his contract situation yeah. had gone. And then it was surprising, but obviously pleasing that that he did sign a new deal. And we all thought, well, he must have been given some assurances and what have you. Um, he said, uh, I'm not sure what Arteta's plans are. We did speak prior to me signing my contract. He said I should trust in him and that he, uh, he has a plan for me. That was a big reason I stayed and decided to re-sign. I wouldn't say I know his plan per se, but there is a plan. And I've spoken about it with various people at Arsenal. And he said, I have complete faith in the gaffer and I feel like whatever the plan is, I will give 100% and it will work out as it has done for the rest of my career. Which, <laughs> which is quite funny, isn't it? Well, I mean, there is a plan. I don't know what it is, but I've spoken to everyone about the plan and I know there is a plan, but whatever that plan is, you know, uh, mm. I mean, how much, how much do you think a manager can tell a young player like that beyond the the basics that look I have a plan for you and if it works out and if you work hard and if things go the way they go there is a future for you here at Arsenal or does it need to be something much more detailed than that it's like here this season you're going to do this and then next season we're going to do this and then you know in 18 months time you'll be ready blah 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 blah. I mean should there be that level of detail is there any need for that level of detail or or is it a case that look football is fluid you can say I got a plan for you. You're a young player with loads of potential. We're going to have a striker situation in, you know, 12 months, 18 months time. We've got gaps to fill. You could be one of those players. Keep your head down, work hard, and let's see where you are. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting as a fan or from the outside, shall I say, you kind of think, well, surely that development pathway is something you'd lay out pretty explicitly in, in things like contract talks. Uh, it seems sensible, doesn't it, to be like, well, yeah, mm. this is what we're going to do with you, uh, Flo. We're going to send you on loan this year and you know, introduce you to the squad this year and you'll be a starter by such and such a time. I think thinking about it, that's probably quite a dangerous thing to do for a club. I suspect mm. that that degree of specificity is problematic in what, you, like you say, is a fluid situation and one where the requirements... And the plan kind of has to, can change at any moment. So, uh, yeah, I wonder if the conversation was more generic, more something mm. like there's a part, there's a role for you here. Um, and that keeps the manager's options open. I mean, for example, maybe Balogun would have gone on loan in the summer had we not lost our two centre forwards to COVID on the eve of the season. And Eddie know? and Kerry had and an injury, injury as well, yeah. Yeah, so that. That's the kind of situation where if you've told Balogun you're going on loan for your first season of the contract and then suddenly you have to go back to him and say, sorry, mate, you're not, you've created a problem for yourself. Mm. Whereas if you keep the options kind of open, then uh, it protects you a little bit as a Mm. club. 
Uh, there was a question, just similar theme really, from Amir on Twitter who said, there have been rumours circulating that West Ham may come in for Eddie Nketiah in the January window. Mm. Given that we will most likely be competing with them for European places come the end of the season, would you rather sell to them or risk losing Eddie on a free in the summer? Mm. That's an interesting one, isn't it? I mean, yeah, ordinarily, is. you'd say, well, if you're going to sell Eddie, West Ham seems like a good spot for him to go. You're not too worried about that decision coming back to bite you in the arse too badly. But given where they are and given what they're doing, it does add an extra layer to that, doesn't it? Uh, the club's hand is a little bit forced in some ways because he can leave for free in the summer. I know you wrote something about the, the implications of of whatever fee we might get. Um, yeah, yeah. Which I haven't had a chance to read yet, but, you know, that does come into the equation a bit. I do want, you know, what happens if you sell him for whatever you get, three or four million? Is that all you get at this point? It's hard to think there'd be much more for a player that, you know, you could hang on and get for free. Um and then they could score a couple of goals which get West Ham six more points or something during the season. It makes your life a lot more difficult. It is a tough one. Yeah, I think in the case of West Ham, it really is tricky because it does feel like we, they mm. are going to be in the mix with along with us for those European places. Um, the Nketiah situation is quite interesting contractually in terms of like where he goes and what Arsenal would be due. So if he goes at the end of the season, at the end of his contract, to another English team, Arsenal will be due compensation. And if that can't be agreed in terms of a transfer fee with the club, it would go to a tribunal. Mm. Um, and there's a lot of risk involved there. Like you, you can get pretty wild results. I mean, um, when Danny Ings went from Burnley to Liverpool, it ended up being about 10 million quid all in, mm. maybe more than that. Um, but there was a case just recently, Nathan Ferguson moved from West Brom to Crystal Palace. And the, the, I think there'd been an 8 million bid for the player in January and he moved on a free in the summer instead and I think they ended up getting about half a million pounds uh, right. and were very disappointed by that so it's assessed on all kinds of different criteria uh, one of the things I find really interesting is that one of the criteria it's assessed on is um, contract offers the player has received from both sides of the club um, so from both clubs rather so right. the club he's leaving and the club he's going to so I do wonder if that um potentially cast a different light on the contract offer made to Eddie last summer, if it was almost something that will be submitted as evidence if he eventually goes for, to tribunal. You know, we wanted mm. to keep him at this expense. Therefore, does that factor into the compensation? Um, but yeah, I, I, I think my hunch is that he will stay. I, I just think with the striker situation being what it will be in January... I just wonder if Arteta will hold on to him and they'll they'll take the gamble of the mm. tribunal if he joins an English team. Because yeah. like you say, how much are they going to get anyway in that window? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think you might be right there. Um, and just having those those options, plus not wanting to strengthen a rival. Um, I mean, the money that you get from West Ham might be just 
uh, derisory, really. And is it worth it if they keep you out of a European place or a Champions League place yeah. or whatever it might be? And here we are talking about Champions League places, which tells you uh, that things have changed quite considerably over the last couple of months. Right, let's take a little break here because we've got some more questions. Uh, we'll come back and do those in part two right after this. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter at GunnarBlog and at Arsblog. Also on the Arsblog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an Arsblog member on Patreon. And if you are coming up this Wednesday, another episode of the podcast called Waffle, in which James and I talk about anything and everything that isn't Arsenal. Uh, based on questions and suggestions from uh, the listeners. So if you want to get involved in that, patreon.com forward slash arsblog. Plus, we'll have our usual Premier League preview podcast with Lewis coming up. And this weekend, of course, is a a daunting prospect with Liverpool away. Um, Hmm. I've got mm. a question to that effect, oh, do you? actually. Okay. Is that all right? Yeah, why not? Without treading on Lewis's toes. No, not much. at all. Um, it was from the Discord. Now, where is it? I said I had it. I, I built up all this hype. Here we go. Zach Tay's on the Discord. With Arsenal being on a great run of form at the moment, where does Saturday's trip to Liverpool rate on your oh shit Anfield away ometer right mm. now? With one being bring it on and ten being can the interlow last forever? Well, mm, given the kind of run we were on, I'm not in that, like, can the interlow last forever mode at all. Mm. Although I am cautious, obviously, because our recent record at Anfield has not been particularly great. I'm a little bit worried that Liverpool, having been beaten by West Ham, will redouble their mug smasheriness and look to bounce back. Um, from defeat. and They drew with Brighton in their yeah. Premier League game before that as well. Mm, so um, maybe it's maybe it's a sign that Liverpool are, are, are falling away. This is the end of Jurgen Klopp's reign as manager and things are just going to crumble from here. People will look back <laughs> at those results and say, that's where it started. How could yeah. we have known at the time? However, I suspect it's more likely that they've had a couple of bad results. They'll come back after this and they'll be like, right... Let's get this fucking thing back on track. Uh, And that's what gives me some pause for thought. So I reckon I'm somewhere 
somewhere in the middle on that one. What about you? Yeah, I, I think so too. I mean, I should point out in that similar period, they beat Atletico Madrid twice and beat Manchester United 5-0 at Old Trafford. So, you know, mm. I think they're going to be okay. Um, <laughs> I think, where am I? If one is, this is fine. I'm probably, do you know what? I'm quite chilled, actually. I'm probably like a five, four or five, mm. somewhere in the middle, simply because I think given... Um, our difficulties against that team and at that stadium over the years, I have to be honest, my expectations aren't great anyway. So I kind of see this as a bit of a, a bit of a free hit for Arsenal. Mm. And, and that's not to say they can't, um, they can't get a result. I think they, they absolutely can. If Brighton can, if West Ham can, I don't see why Arsenal can't. And it's not to say I'll be content if we lose 7-0. Um, but this is a hard fixture. Mm. And I guess I feel that even if it ends in a defeat, I don't think that has to necessitate kind of the end of Arsenal's it's, momentum. It's the manner of it, though. And... and- yeah, You know, how we react to a setback, how we react to a defeat, how we, we react to a, a really poor performance is something that we're going to have to wait and see from this team. We're all very enthused and encouraged by what we've seen of late. But, you know, how can we respond when things go well? You know, a young team that's full of confidence can can coast along, but sometimes... You know the experience can help when you um, when you don't quite reach those heights. I think it's really all about the manner of the performance for this Liverpool game. You know we could easily get beaten. We could also, uh, and I think it's within our capabilities of taking something from the game. I'm not necessarily Definitely. sure this is a game that we can win, but what what you have to what you have to see is some something of a yardstick performance, if that makes sense. You know, that Mm. you're not going and you're not getting turned over and you're not getting ripped apart by a Liverpool team who've done it to you time and time and time again. Um, So it'll be interesting to see how Mikel Arteta actually sets up his team, what kind of formation he uses, what kind of game plan he uses. Will it be containment? Will it be something similar to the way we play, you know, the FA Cup semi-final and final, that kind of thing? Or will he trust in his team to to be able to deal with the many and varied threats of, of Liverpool on the day. So it'll be... Yeah, and, and uh, this might sound like a low bar, but like, and these might, words may come back to haunt me, but it would be nice to be in the game at half-time, for example. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. I feel yeah, like yeah. a lot of the time we go away to these big stadiums and it feels like it's over, you know, inside the first 45 yeah, minutes. Playing and, for pride in the second half and all that. Yeah, and that's always uncomfortable. And I think... Um, I think that that actually uh, affects the tone of how it feels and how it's analysed. Like, mm. I think you've got it's got to be a contest. If, if if you're out of the game after 25 minutes, you've basically got 60 minutes of people feeling miserable and getting increasingly <laughs> wound up about the performance. So, I really hope we can stay in it and make it a, make it a game. And if West yeah. Ham can and Brighton can, Arsenal should absolutely. Uh, have aspirations of doing that yeah okay I mean go on one more thing which is just that it is off the back of an international break and as I recall 
I feel like coming off the last international break was that we had one that was Norwich. We came back and didn't look too fluent. Crystal Palace uh, was the other and one. And then Crystal Palace was mm. the other. So we've not been great in that respect. So that will be another thing to deal with. Well, let's see. What did Liverpool do after the international breaks? Um, boom, boom, boom. Well, they beat Watford 5-0. Sure. And then... What did they do in the other one? Let me see. Was it in September? It's, diff- it's difficult to see because... We played Palace on the 18th, so I guess it was... The 9th. 18th of October. So I guess it was... Um, uh, yeah, yeah Palace was a Monday 16th. night game. It was a Monday night game. So who did Liverpool play on that weekend? The, the 16th, 17th. Oh, I see. And the one before that was Arsenal-Norwich was... Um, the date was 12th of 11th September. of okay. September. So they beat Leeds 3-0 at, at Elland Road. So mm. third time unlucky for Liverpool. Hard luck. Yeah. Hard luck. You're going down, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just hope we get everyone back fit as well. Yeah, you know, exactly. And, and they don't. Um, we had a couple of questions like this. Um, uh, one on the Discord from Lefty Righty who said, would Jack Wilshire be a viable short-term option in January to cover our AFCON midfield losses? He's free. He loves the club. He's been training with the first team already. Puts him in the shop window to win a contract elsewhere. An opportunity to prove his fitness on the biggest stage. Your thoughts? And on Twitter, the Swedish Gooner, who's at the Swee Gooner, said, why should we not sign Jack Wilshire? Honestly, I, I, I can't answer this question well. And the reason is I'm not seeing what Jack Wilshire is right now. And the only people who are are those at London Colney. I mean, he, he came out the other day and said, I still think I can play. If I really thought it was over for me, I would say that. He hinted about going abroad, to be honest. He mm. said something like, you know, I think my next step might be abroad. Um if, look, if Jack Wilshire is playing and uh, training and looks fit and looks sharp and looks like the Jack Wilshire we remember and Arsenal could sign him for a few months on an affordable deal, um, I wouldn't say no to that. I'm just not sure. Mm. I have no idea what Jack Wilshire we've got there, you know? He hasn't started a game since the 1st of May when Wickham beat Bournemouth 1-0. He started yeah. that game for Bournemouth. Um, it reminds me a bit of, you know, remember when Sol Campbell came back? He left Notts County mm. and he came back to train. And for some reason, you know, I think Arsenal had a bit of an injury crisis, but Arsenal basically saw enough in him that he was like, yeah, you, you can join. And he actually mm. did pretty well. Um, it would be a situation like that. I, I think it's very unlikely essentially. But um, I do think they might need to be creative in terms of what they can do in January. All right. Well, here's here's another one from Simon Jones, who's at Simon Jones 53. He says, would Aaron Ramsey be worth a short-term deal to cover AFCON? He's keen to prove his fitness and play in the World Cup playoffs. Win-win? Doesn't seem to be going particularly well for him uh, at Juventus uh, this season. I'm not sure he's played a great deal at all. I'll look those up, but uh, you're... you're Yeah, no, he hasn't. He scored a couple of goals for Wales the other night as well, didn't Mm. he? Um, I saw someone call him a disgrace for 
for scoring for Wales when he hasn't scored for Juventus? Yeah, it's something like he's not been fit to start games for Juve mm. and yet he's gone away on international duty and that has irked uh, people in Italy. Um, I mean, again, fitness issues there. I would say that there's quite a big difference between a player coming from Juventus and Serie A and international football versus a guy mm. who, like you say, has not played any kind of football since May. And that was in the championship. I think there is a difference between them. And uh, if you're telling me I can have one, yeah. I'm, I'm having Aaron Ramsey. Yeah. Well, what do you think about these two cases? I, I just can't, like you say, we don't know what what level Jack is at in terms of his fitness and everything else. Um, but I, I I find it hard to think that he could in a short period of time, come in and do a job at this level, having not played at any level since May. I just find that kind of hard. Like, if a player was out injured, you'd say he's going to need a few weeks to get back to, to fitness. We're all worried about else. Granite Xhaka, who hasn't played for, like, a couple of months, and yet Jack's going to come in and play yeah, <laughs> after yeah, yeah. a year out. I mean, if you were going to sign Jack, you'd have to do it now. And give him games somewhere, you know, like under twenty threes or twenty threes like yeah. or something, yeah, just to try and build some kind of fitness. Mm. But I, I honestly don't think that was the agenda in inviting him back to Arsenal in any way. And I think Arteta actually works quite hard to be clear about that in his communications around it. Yeah, um, this was very much about giving him somewhere to be and somewhere to do some coaching badges work. I don't think it was in anybody's mind that he would earn a contract. I don't even think Jack, maybe, you know, he might harbour hopes of that, but I mm. don't think he'd think of it as a realistic prospect. What yeah. about what about uh, Ramsey? You know me. I love me a bit of Aaron Ramsey. Um, he wants his songs back. Yeah. He's, fu- he's furious <laughs> with Aaron Ramsdale for stealing all his chants. Oh, my goodness. That would be a thing. Aaron Ramsdale to Aaron Ramsey. I mean, that would be the assist of the season if that happened, wouldn't it? A long Ramsdale kick to Ramsey over the top. A yeah. tail of two Aarons. Um, look, chance you'd have to sort of circulate between them, like Colo and Yaya Toure, you know, back and forth. <laughs> uh, yeah, that would be... And it would actually work as well. It would scan. Yeah. It would scan. Um, again, I think it would be... I think it, this is something that exists only in the minds of, of supporters. It depends what Juventus want to do with him. Some talk that they want to, you know, tear up the contract and all that kind of crack, but I doubt very much that that's going to happen. So, um, I don't think it'd be cheap. You know, if you took over his contracts, I mean, it's, it's not like he's coming in. Well, Juventus have got to pay wedge. him anyway. Juventus have got to pay him anyway. So, yeah, you know, true. you make a contribution to his wages and and what have you, but uh, like I think it's I think it's very unlikely as well. Even if um, at his best, uh, Aaron Ramsey, I think would probably bring something to this midfield during the period where we're without uh, Thomas Partey when he's at the at the Afcon. Yeah, but I think uh, I think both are quite unlikely. Although I do think if Arsenal do something in central midfield in January. And this is purely opinion. I think a loan might be the way it goes. Mm. I, I don't know, but I, 
you know, you look at last January, they went for Odegaard, didn't they? And that, that was a fantastic opportunity to sign a guy on loan. Whether or not that sort of deal is out there this January, I don't yeah. know. But if, they, if it's not the right player, um, they won't commit to him, I don't think. And I think that's kind of right. Like, you know, we, we, we're not in a position anymore where we just kind of need to fill spots in the squad. We need mm. to add the right players. Yeah. Um, and who knows if that's going to be possible mid-season. All right. But yeah, you know, listen, January 1st, it'll probably be Ramsey and Wilshire playing for us in midfield, <laughs> knowing our track records. I mean, what about this? I noticed in a recent article, this is from Blavino. I noticed in a recent article by James's colleague, Art de Roche, that Callum Chambers mentioned he prepares in three positions, right back, centre back and central midfield. Considering he played well in midfield while on loan at Fulham, do you think he's an option there during AFCON? No. Really? No chance? Well, A, he's never played there for Arsenal. No. B, he can't even get in the squad ahead of Cedric at the moment. Mm. I did enjoy, I did enjoy, I don't know if you read the... Um, the Cedric interview. The Cedric, yeah, I did enjoy that. <laughs> by James Olley in ESPN. But I really liked, you know, the last line of it. And it was like, well, he may not be playing at the moment, but he's still going to work hard and blah, blah, blah. And I think the final line was, whatever happens, Cedric will find a way. Was, <laughs> Cedric like, uh, will find a way. Like uh, dinosaurs in Jurassic Park, <laughs> finding a way to propagate. I, I think... Um, yeah, Chambers. He did play well for Fulham. Don't get me wrong. He was their player of the year. Um, and I watched him and he was good on a few occasions. I just think if it was a serious option for Arteta, I think we might have seen it tried before now. Yeah. Um, yeah. I I mean, listen, so I'm going to put this out there. I think Shaka will be back. I think he'll be back and playing. Do you think it's, they have been deliberately obfuscating? Not obfuscating. That's the wrong word. Do you think they have been deliberately, like, worst-case scenario with Xhaka? Like, you know, the initial thing is, well, he'll be out for three or four months, so they've made it three or four months. And they're... Like, we're going to sort of keep him on ice, essentially, uh, until he's needed, kind of thing. Yeah, but just like they've been down downplaying his chances of making a quicker recovery than people might have expected. Maybe. I mean, listen, um, there's a documentary being made about Arsenal and I think, you know, player given timeline to recover and beats it would be a nice kind of narrative arc within that documentary. Um, I think as well, in fairness to the player, we... You know, anyone who hears anything about the training around at Arsenal hears about the quality of his preparation and his work and his training. I think if there's a player who you would bet on to beat uh, recovery time, he'd be up there. I I just, I don't know, it's a pure hunch. I just think that um, he, he'll he be ready and I think he'll play and mm. that will slightly assuage the the need for a, a the fears yeah. yeah exactly because you well, know bear in mind Lukonga and Maitland-Niles are doing pretty well as well on the in their own account well he hasn't been missed which you know mm. m- might sound critical which isn't necessarily critical but I don't think he has been 
missed per se. Uh, I'm not saying that he couldn't have made a positive contribution. You know, he could also have made a Shaka a, a esque contribution mm-hmm. to a game or two as well. But he hasn't really been missed since he's gone out of the team. And I know he played in the North London Derby, but since then, the team hasn't lost. Uh, I know no, no, performances no. have been up and down and it's a sort of cause and correlation kind of thing. I'm not sure you can just say just because he hasn't been there, Arsenal have played well. Um, but yeah, I, I don't quite know what my point is other than like let him get fit and see what happens. Um, mm. His place, I think, will will be there, particularly in the absence of Partey. That senior midfield role I think is something Arteta looks at as important, and you know, if he had the if he if he had the option to play one of Maitland Niles or Lakonga alongside one of Partey and Shaka, rather than Lakonga and uh, uh, Lakonga and Maitland Niles, I think he would choose you know the one plus one scenario, you know, where one of them is a senior, experienced midfielder. I think for sure. I mean, I think there's a chance he would pick the two experienced players. No, no, yeah, but that's what I'm saying. In this, in a kind of either-or scenario where you Definitely. either pick the two young guys or you pick an experienced guy and a young guy, I think he's going to go with the experienced plus young guy, whichever whichever one it is, whether it's Partey or Shaq. Yeah, and I think it's really positive for Arsenal that the results um, mm. have been good in his absence because uh, for a long time, it felt like for all his uh, flaws he was kind of essential in some ways. Mm. And, you know, right now that feels certainly less the case. But I think when it comes to January, um, I think he'll be there. I don't know what what degree of, you know, who knows how the injury will have impacted him. Like you've said yourself, Mm. he's not really been in this position before. Uh, Certainly not as an Arsenal player. But, um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not... Uh, certain by any means that Arsenal will bring somebody in in January. I think if they do, a loan might be likeliest for the midfield area. But we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, we we do have quite a a number of games. Depending on what happens in our EFL Cup game, you know, we could be looking at Premier League, FA Cup, EFL Cup or Carabao Cup, then Premier League, then EFL Cup again. So it could get a bit hectic in the early part of January. So I think maybe what happens might be dependent on on what happens in the Carabao Cup. If we go through, they might be more inclined to think, okay, we definitely need someone, even if it's for the Carabao Cup games. Yeah. You know. um, Get Kim Chowstrom on the line. ASAP. Yeah, exactly. You mentioned it. and Sean Adams, who's at Sean Adams 13 on Twitter, says, thinking ahead to the Amazon series, who in the squad and management team do you think are most likely to be, uh, to be positioned as the heroes, villains, and mavericks? I mean, the villain, uh, the villain has to be the villainous Josh Kroenke with his villain's beard hanging straight down I don't know if you ever played a video game called Far Cry there's uh, Far Cry 5 right it's set in this um, small town America type thing this kind of right wing cult leader guy who looks exactly like Josh Kroenke with the beard and the hair and all that kind of stuff so 
It's a bold look, certainly, uh, and mm. not one I anticipated. I think, I think actually that I've said this before, maybe, but I would be very surprised if he doesn't feature quite prominently in the documentary. Well, I mean, do you think, without being overly cynical about this, and we did talk about how it is a positive thing that the owners are more present and they're more engaged. Mm. I mean, do you think possibly that the presence of the Amazon cameras might be playing a small part in that? I'm sure, well, I, I don't know how cynical to be about it, basically, because in fairness to the ownership pre-pandemic, Josh was here quite a lot but it wasn't really covered or talked about. Like he attended a lot of games in that season before the pandemic. But I I do think <clears throat> and have said all along that I think that this documentary will be used either, depending on your degree of cynicism, to uh, exaggerate the degree of ownership involvement mm. or to demonstrate the degree of ownership involvement. So I think he will be... a a pretty big player in do you, do you think that as well yeah I think he's going to be there I mean I remember it was a couple of months ago and Mikel Arteta was asked you know if he had any say in the Amazon documentary going ahead right. and he said no yeah no I had no say in this so this has been an executive level decision it must have come from the Cronkies. I mean, I get the sense, personally, I get the sense that if Mikel Arteta had the chance to say yes or no to something like this, he would probably say no, because he really doesn't want to give anything away when he speaks publicly. You know, even even basic stuff like um, injury news, How how is X player, well, we'll see, we're going to have a check later, we're going to assess him before the before the game. Um, he doesn't like to give anything away. He doesn't like to give anything away about transfers. You know, the, the, the dressing room, what happens in the dressing room and on the training ground stays on the training ground and in the dressing room. That kind of culture, I think, is something that he values. And I don't know <clears throat> that that really aligns with, a, with an Amazon documentary, you know? The only thing I would say, sort of in addition to that, is that he has got experience of this process because he participated in it with Manchester City. Um, mm. So I think you're right that he wouldn't like it, but I think that he that he wouldn't choose it rather, but I think he is at least sort of comfortable with it in terms of like he's been through that before. Um, but I mean, these cameras are... I mean, I, I personally, I, I genuinely am, cannot wait to see this documentary. I know that people are like dismissive of it and it's PR and blah, blah, blah. But ultimately, those cameras are in those dressing rooms mm. and people are in there doing their jobs, whether or not the cameras change how they do them or not. Like, you know, I sit and watch fucking tunnel cam or bench cam. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? After we win a game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I'm so hungry to like suck up what the reality of those relationships is like. So I, I am very curious um, about it. And, and on the subject of Arteta, in terms of <clears throat> who will be the heroes and the villains, I think the whole thing, if if I'm honest, will probably be built around him and his personality. Um, because that's the way the club... I think like to frame it. They like to put people like Edu, Arteta, Mertzaka, 
in the foreground and say, these mm. are our guys. And I think the documentary will reflect that. Yeah, I mean, look, they did the thing, obviously, with with uh, with Amy, which I thought was a great interview and a very, um, very smart interview because she wove in, weaved in, weaved in? Weaved, wove. Anyway, you know what I'm, you know what I'm saying. Um, you know, bits and pieces about football, but also with bits and pieces of his personal life, which sort of made him a bit more open. You know, I, I, thought, yeah, yeah, I yeah. thought the questions were really good, and they're obviously trying to present him in a in a in a certain light, and what have you. I, I'm I'm curious because you know we we've we've seen the impact of what these new players coming in have had on the team on the pitch in the last couple of months and it's been really positive so how that is um captured in this documentary will be quite interesting to see you know do we get the sense of of impact or influence on the training ground from the second they arrive you know what i mean does aaron ramsdale walk through the door and just immediately become this this character that is not quite larger than life but you know what i mean where he has this presence or does he take like a week or two to settle in before he he starts going you know did you watch the thing i don't know if you watched it um with the guy from soccer am oh i've seen bits of it yeah the golf thing with the Ramsdale. golf thing yeah he's uh he's playing around with the guy whose name it's tubes tubes and they play a round of golf together. There's two videos, I believe. Yeah, and he comes across great in that as well. Just a really, really nice guy. And, um, you know, those kind of characters being on screen, I suppose, are going to be interesting to see. Um, even if There's a good bit in that video about where he talks about the different characters in the Arsenal dressing room. Mm. Um, and, yeah, uh, listen... It, we we see what we see is basically like fourteen seconds of Aubameyang's Instagram story of what those relationships are. So mm. I do I am curious to see more of that, and I do think you know I spoke about narrative arcs with the, the injury to Shaka, but the fact Arsenal had such a bad start and then have had this revival. I mean, documentary makers will be rubbing their hands together, right? Because yeah, yeah, you, it's very clear how that can play out. Um, and I think as long as you're it's like the mighty ducks. <laughs> exactly and I think as long as you're aware and sort of critically thinking critically about um, I don't mean that sort of negatively I mean thinking in an engaged fashion about what mm. you're watching I think it's going to be full of interesting moments for us as fans and I think insights into personalities especially Um because you know like Ramsdale's a very obvious one but maybe there are sides to some of these guys that we just haven't seen, you know, um, mm. because they're less public with it. I don't know. Well, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. In terms of villains. Oh, villain. I mean, I don't know if there are really villains in these pieces. Uh, you know what I mean? I guess, I guess if anything, I guess the villain will be sort of external. I guess the villain will be... The opposition na- or... Yeah, narrative and pressure and all those things, you know. Mm. Um, it'll be about how the uh, London Colney enclave sort of resists that, I imagine. Who knows? Who knows? It's, it's, we've never experienced anything. We've never had anything quite like this at Arsenal. No. It's always been a very private, closed club in that way. That is true. For better and worse. For better or worse. Um, Should we have another question? Yeah, why not? 
Yeah, why not? Oh, I like this question from the Discord. This was Hesh, and Hesh said, it's hard to imagine Bellerin coming back into Arsenal and not enjoying what he sees. Do you think he has a role left to play after his loan? Because mm. normally, I player goes on loan and I'm like, it's over. Yeah. But I do have a shred of doubt in Bellerin's case. My gut tells me no. Not that he wouldn't enjoy it. But, I mean, we do have to think at some point about, you know, how we how we deal with a Tomiyasu absence. We know that Cedric will find a way, but also Callum Chambers, who's a bit, you know, on the outs. But I find neither Cedric and his wayfinding or, or Callum Chambers particularly convincing. I think Chambers is out of contract as well in the summer, so chances are mm. he's going to be gone. Um, I saw Bellerin score a very... Um, unfortunate own goal last week for Real Betis. They were down to 10 men at halftime and he just clattered one in. Um, it wasn't great, but uh, I mean, it depends what he wants. I think he's probably wanted to experience something new for a little while. Not just this summer, but maybe the summer before as well, where he felt like so. maybe... Yeah. I need to go and do something else. I need to, you know, experience something different in my footballing life, my personal life. And I don't doubt for a second that he he loves Arsenal. He grew up at the club. He has strong feelings for the for the club and the fans and everything else. Um, but I don't really see him as coming back and and being part of it for whatever reason. I think the the die has been cast in that sense. You? You know, I think culturally he would be a good fit, but I just think, you know, Arteta had him for a year and a half and he was never quite, never seemed quite content with him as the mm. right back. Tommy Asu's not exactly come in and done badly. I'm just watching that own goal, by the way. It's an absolute corker of an own goal. Yeah, it was a real um, right off the middle of his shin as well. Yeah, in the derby as well. Um, I think probably on balance not, but I think, you know, the Elneny um, precedent means anything's possible. I really didn't think he'd come back from his loan. And yeah, did. that's true. Um, and, you know, if if Chambers were to go and Cedric were to not find a way, then there is a spot in the squad for somebody. I mean, I, I think Arsenal probably do need another right back, to be honest. Um, I think Tommy Asu has been great, but I'm not sure Arteta's convinced by any of the alternatives. So I do wonder if that's a position they might be looking at. Um, someone who provides cover, but also maybe a bit of a contrast, a bit of a different style. Yeah. Um, but Cedric will keep trying to find a way. Well, Cedric is on a long-term contract as well. So there's that to contend with. Even if but, he uh, doesn't find a way, it's all Christy for, for well, Cedric. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, He's not going to find the way out. Yeah. I don't think of that four-year deal. So yeah. he, did, he was um, talking about how he used to play with Arsenal on football manager or championship manager or whatever. Well, there you go. That's nice. Maybe, yeah. I mean, if, he seems like a decent enough fella. I mean, you know, but I'm not sure Arteta rates him particularly highly. No, um, I don't think so. A uh, couple of quick ones to finish. Yeah, go on. Yeah. 
Okay, Benny Blanco says, given the recent success of Arteta's 4-4-2 formation, should we consider a striking partnership with whoever that may be as a viable long-term option? Also, hope you found your giraffe, James. So please deal with this in the order of importance. What giraffe? I made a video about a man who has lost a giraffe, but he he doesn't want to own up to that. Um, so he's claiming that it's his son, but he's describing it, and it's very clearly a giraffe. Okay. <laughs> this is what I do in my spare time. It's an interlog, guys. I missed and, that um, one. I missed that one. Shit. Yeah, no, it's just come out today. Oh, okay. Sure I haven't had a chance to see it then. But um, what was the original question? Uh, four four two striking partnership, yeah. long term viable. Da di da di da. Wow, we've got one now, pretty much. Um, so the thing against this is obviously the existence of Martin Odegaard. Um, and he's been bought, you'd imagine, to play as a kind of number 10. And that means playing with one striker. I think it would be good to have a couple of strikers that would give you that option, though. Mm. Especially seeing how well we're functioning with that sort of, that kind of system right now. Um, but I envisage that will naturally happen. You know, I mm. think if Arsenal buy a new forward, it's going to be someone who you could play with a Bamiang. But you could equally probably play them on their own with Odegaard in behind, um, mm. and I think that's I think that's good. Um, so yeah, I, I think yeah, yeah it's something you want to factor in is there a balance between the different forwards that you've got available that yeah. enables you to partner them up if you decide to go that way? What yeah. do you think? Yeah, maybe you look at. It's not new to say this, but but the the striker signing we make when we make one is going to be absolutely. Uh, fascinating to see what profile of player we're going to go after you know um, yeah. is it a like for like Aubameyang replacement somebody who's a bit more I don't know physical uh, aerially dominant you know maybe that's one area that we do have a bit of a gap you know when it comes to um, aerial presence in the box but does that matter mm-hmm. if you're playing short cutbacks from behind the fullback so I don't know we'll wait and see final one Puerto Rican Gunner says, is the success of recently appointed set-piece specialist Nicholas Yover one of the reasons for our little winning run? If so, should Arteta be on the lookout for other specialists to strengthen different areas of our game? Interesting question. I mean, so one thing that's um, struck me whenever Arteta's been asked about Yover and about the set-pieces He always says, this is a process we began a year ago, Um, which is true. Arsenal brought in Andres Jorgsen 12 months ago, Mm. and he was set-piece coach. Mixed results. I mean, defensively, a dramatic improvement. Offensively, not too great a result. Um, Jova's come in, and we are now uh, looking a threat from set-pieces. I, I don't know how much that's down to sort of any great cleverness. I have to be honest. I'm not, I'm sure he's a fantastic coach, but I think a lot of this is good delivery and having Gabriel back and in the team. I mean, mm. he provides such a threat in the box. He's a monster really in the air. And uh, I think Saka and Smith Rowe have really upped their game in terms of what they're producing. And in fact, they weren't even on the corners until quite recently. You know, a lot of the time it was uh, Nicola Pepe or, or other players, Odegaard, when mm. he's played as well. So I think it's positive. I think 
Arsenal, in terms of getting a set-piece coach in 12 months ago, were one of the early-ish adopters. It's becoming more and more common now in the Premier League. And I don't doubt there will be other things. I mean, everyone scoffed at Liverpool for their throw-in coach, didn't they? But mm. I don't doubt in five years' time there'll be 10 of them in the Premier League. Um, I think the one that's really interesting, actually, is goal kicks. Because... The goal kicks are not the preserve of the set-piece coach. They are dealt with as part of uh, open play, essentially. That's interesting. Yeah. I've actually got an interesting interview coming up with Jorgsen, who was at Arsenal. I think it's going to come out later this week. And it's about what the job of a set-piece coach actually entails. So that will be on The Athletic. Keep an eye out for that. But... I think goal kicks are becoming one of the most important moments in football, really, because it controls everything. The, the risk is so high if you play it out from the back and the reward is potentially great as well. Mm. And I do wonder if they may become a specialism in themselves. Um, Routines, I, don't know that, I guess, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if that will be the case at Arsenal because I think, to be honest, it's an area... Arteta puts a lot of focus on and has always put a lot of focus on from his time at City as well. So it might not be something that he's like, we desperately need this, but I think that will be something that develops. And um, yeah, it's interesting. I remember we had a a conversation a few weeks ago where I was like, you know, Arteta, it feels like he spends so much time on the first phase of play. It feels like, it feels like you know, mm. Arsenal are always thinking about what centre-backs can we buy? How can we change what goalkeeper? How can we change how we play out from the back? And I was like, you know, we need to get to the final third eventually. And then I had a conversation with somebody recently that really uh, made me think maybe that was quite dumb of me <laughs> um, because they were sort of quoting um, Guardiola. And he his his thesis essentially is that you cannot create chances if you don't play out from the back well. He was basically like, it's all about being able to play out from the back in a 1v1 situation so that you create the overloads in the opposition half that enable you to actually create chances. Mm. So the, the, the core of the idea was essentially that until you've got that right, you, you it almost doesn't matter. Like, and you know... He's, there was an example given of like if you're playing with a back four for example and they're playing one striker you immediately have a problem because you have three extra men there that you don't need to have that should be higher up the pitch giving yeah, you yeah, overloads yeah, yeah, combinations yeah. of course and, and so that's why Arteta you know we talk about we say we play four four two, but it's three at the back and sometimes it's two at the back because it's all about having defenders who are confident and comfortable in those 1v1 situations that enable you to have men higher up the pitch right and, and of course, yeah yeah it seems very simple yeah. and i feel <laughs> it a never occurred for, to me <laughs> yeah 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 and and then and then and, and suddenly it casts a different light on everything like why do you spend 50 million pounds on a center half well because that's the player who you know I mean, Gabriel is actually the player who has the ball more than anybody else. But the centre-halves are the guys who have the ball more than anyone else in the team. And their ability and their quality to deal with those 1v1 situations and play out, Mm. same with the goalkeeper, is critical. 
I mean, obviously there are other ways to play and Arsenal do go long a lot as well. But I just thought it was an interesting, yeah. you know, I, I've kind of always looked at Arteta and been like, wow, we spend a lot of time. It feels like there's a lot of focus on what we do in our half. Um, and the thesis, at least, is that like, without that, you know, that is the foundation of everything. Without that, you can't get to the other end. Building blocks. But, building blocks. But, you know, mm. there are, of course, other ways to do it. If you've got a six foot four striker, you can kick it into them and build from there. So Lump it to Crouchy. Yeah, exactly. When Dominic Calvert-Lewin arrives, all this changes. But, uh, yeah, I, I um, can't remember what you're saying. So, so, yeah, goal kicks. I wonder if that might be the next specialism. I'm trying to think as well, like penalties. That feels like a specialism that could be... I mean, is that not? Do you necessarily need a coach for that? You just need you just need to practice as a player. Yeah, I mean, out of I mean, there, there are already individual development coaches, you know, who work with players one yeah, to yeah. one. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Can you think of anything that's not covered off yet? I mean, I think throw-ins is a really good one. You mentioned Liverpool, um, yeah. and and how people were laughing at that, but. Uh, I do look at us take throw-in sometime and think like, oh, we need to be quicker. We need to get men in position to receive the ball much more quickly because once you once you allow the opposition to get organized, then it becomes very easy. I always, I mean, this could be just my sense of it, right? Um, my sense is, is that the opposition, when they're taking a throw-in, can sort of tiptoe through the tulips with gay abandon and just wander around until at some point the throw-in taker will throw it to their man who's in so much space he could sit down, you know, pick some flowers, write a poem, and then take the ball off and do something. Whereas for us, mm. every time it's like, we can't even get the ball near our players. Now, I know that's not exactly how it happens, but that's that's my sense of it. So I do think there might be something to, um, to the throw-in thing. Beyond that... Also- the foul throws, I mean, you know, they're, they're not great either. Well, yeah, but also everyone is making foul throws. It just becomes an issue when, you know, you get spotted once or twice. Uh, if you look, I think there are lots of foul throws in the game. But beyond that, I don't know, set pieces, free kicks. But those things really come down to, to A, individual ability, I think. You can't really, I mean, how can you coach somebody to take good free kicks get it over the wall no over the wall no not into the wall <laughs> over the wall get it over the wall now maybe we need a, a a specialist coach for the lying down behind the wall guy maybe there's something that guy can do like rather than just lie still what if he was to make scissors like motions scissors <laughs> motions with his legs to achieve maximum coverage for the ball if it were to go under the wall, if you could train a player, coach a player to move his legs like like helicopter blades, there'd be just no way of the ball getting through. How long until we see guys in the wall standing on each other's shoulders like some sort of human pyramid? Like three small boys in an overcoat trying to get into an over-18s movie. Yeah, I'm thinking more like cheerleaders, <laughs> you know, like being like, come on then, James Madison, get over this 20-foot wall. It's 17 foot wide. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. If we jump, we're going to have real problems. But apart from that... They used to do um, these. They used to do things like that when I lived in, in Spain. I don't know if it's just in, in Catalonia, 
But during the festivals, I know there's a specific name for this and I can't remember what they are, so I apologize. But they would make these huge um, human pyramid type things where you get like a group of people at the bottom and then slowly, slowly it will become tapered towards the top. And then obviously you can't get like the big six foot four fat lad to go on the top of it. So they, they would get children scrambling up these like 40 feet high groups of people right to the very top. It was mental. Wow. Little small, like, like urchins <laughs> going up chimneys in Victorian times. They're mental. I mean- well, yeah, I, I think we will see that on the football field before long. Inevitably. Pyramids of, in with country. small children going to the Yeah. Team. Yeah. Okay. Um, game is the game. The game is the game and it's evolving. And we have to accept that. Oh, <sighs> dear. Okay. That, well, well look, there we go. Interlow podcast. Yeah. What are they called? <laughs> what are they called? I think... Oh, no. It begins with C, I think, but I can't remember. I'd have to look it up, and I'll look it up another day, and it's not really that important in the grand scheme of things. Anyway, but look, we've got through another Interlol podcast, so thank you very much. Um, if you can believe it, we're doing another podcast on Wednesday that is even less about football than this one. <laughs> I think we'd like 60% football content yeah, in this one, at least. Right. We did all right. We did okay. All right, well, uh, as ever, thank you very much for being here. Hope you enjoyed the show. Join us in midweek for more Patreon stuff, and we will catch you on the next one. Bye-bye. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.